The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And today we're looking very specifically at the city of Leicester and how it's dealing with being locked down when much of the rest of England, at least, is relaxing a lot of the lockdown measures. We'll be talking to people from uh, Leicester coming up later, including the MP Andrew Bridgen. But first of all, let's talk about, uh, well, other issues, really, what the Culture Secretary has been talking about, laying out the next stage of the easing. Uh, outdoor swimming pools and water parks will be allowed to open on Saturday. Beauticians, nail bars, tanning salons, spas following on Monday. And gyms, indoor pools, leisure centres and dance studios open from July the 25th. Everything for you, really, Seb. Oh, yeah, I'm very excited. I had an email from my gym. I uh, don't know how quick I'm going to be to get back in there with all my sweaty colleagues uh but it's exciting to see things going at least a little bit back to normal we also heard a bit about being able to visit loved ones in care homes matt hancock telling itv that would be possible in the next few days but what this really does is paint quite a divergent picture because the rest of the country slowly emerging from lockdown leicester remaining firmly there non-essential shops schools closed after a surge in virus cases yeah, it's an issue clearly for people living in Leicester, but also the rest of the country, because if obviously there are other surges of the of the virus, then this may well become the pattern in other places. The government has confirmed, however, it won't be providing special financial support to Leicester. And that's despite the Health Secretary Matt Hancock saying last week there would be help available for local businesses. Well, joining us now is Andrew Bridgen, Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire. Andrew, uh, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the programme. Don't you think the government should be helping out here? They certainly should. Uh, It's not the fault of the majority of the people in Leicester that they've been forced to go and make the sacrifice of being in a lockdown. And I would point out that my my constituency is actually the only one in Leicestershire that doesn't border the city. uh, I am uh, thankfully uh, a few miles away from uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the... the exclusion area that has been announced for the further lockdown, which uh, basically is the city centre plus uh, some of the suburbs which go into the county seats as well, making Greater greater Leicester. Uh, but clearly it's not, uh, we're asking them to make a sacrifice uh, for the benefit of uh, the rest of the country. And I will be, I will be lobbying government for extra support for the city. And in particular, we need support to sort out the the situation that's come to light in Leicester East with the uh, appalling working conditions and pay of uh, many of the garment factories there. 
that needs to be sorted yeah. out as well. So we're, I'm, I'm going to be looking for long-term uh, investment of government resources and action to deal with these problems in Leicester so that uh, post-COVID, we're not only going to be a more vibrant economy in our county uh, city, we're also going to be uh, moving forward in a sustainable way, offering good quality employment. So what sort of thing are you looking for from the government specifically? Could we see, for example, an extension of furlough just in Leicester after the period when it has uh, ended in the rest of the country? Well, the furlough is still running until October, so I would be very hopeful that we're going to get the, the lockdown lifted within that period so that that provision is is already there. But, but what we've got is we've got uh, communities that are isolated from... Uh, the rest of the mainstream society, which we've got a, a subculture of poverty wages, not speaking English. We need, we need a, a major investment uh, into Leicester. And one of the major points is, is uh, English, training for them to speak English so that they can access all the uh, services that are available and also play a full part in our civic society. What about the regulations surrounding this lockdown? Because the, the mayor of Leicester has said the government really hasn't been clear either about the beginning or the conditions that could lead to the end in Leicester. I mean, do you do you think that has become clear? Well, I, I think the less that the uh, Sir Peter Soulsby, the Labour mayor of Leicester, says about the lockdown, the better. Really, he's been caught out uh, and admitted to multiple breaches of the lockdown rules himself uh, and that was uh, about four weeks ago this came out and that's been very very unhelpful and set a very very bad uh, example uh, for for a city where we've actually before the lockdown specific for Leicester came in the week prior to that you've got a city of about 300,000 population which had had 10 percent of all the uh, confirmed Covid infection cases in the UK so I think the less that Peter Salisbury says about confusion uh, probably the better for him, quite honestly. Um, what I would have liked to have seen from the local authorities is, is some really good signage of when people are actually going into the lockdown area because there are certain areas where the, the, the sort of the line effectively is, is indistinct. And I think knowing that barrier and, and specifically exactly where it is would have been more helpful. Yeah, Andrew, but is it clear to you the actual criteria that would mean that it can be lifted or, or any kind of duration? Do you know? Well, that's that, well, no, because that's relative. I mean, I, I saw that uh, the infection rate was running around 130 per 100,000. It's dropped the last figures I saw to 117. But, I mean, this is still three times, four times higher than any other city in, in the UK. So and, until... It, it is relative, really, to the infection rate to what's going on in the rest of the country. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if the, the lockdown has to be extended for another fortnight. Uh, at the end of the day, um, the risk of a second uh, wave starting from Leicester and spreading out, uh, obviously that's a major concern to not only people in, in northwest Leicestershire, but all of the rest of the country, because that would be catastrophic. It'd, you know, put the NHS back under pressure again, effects on public health, and also be tremendously damaging to our economy. Um, but we need to ensure that there is going to be the support for Leicester because it's going to need it when we come out of the current lockdown.
It begs the question, why Leicester? What were the conditions that meant that it became yeah. such a hotspot? Well, it's, it, it, it was a perfect storm in Leicester. We, we know from, uh, from government figures that uh, the population, uh, the demographics in a city are younger than people who live in more rural areas, such as my constituency. Young people have been far less uh, likely to abide by the lockdown rules uh, religiously. Um, we all know that uh, you know, when, you're, when you're 20, you think you're immortal. Um, they're probably at less risk of having any serious complications from the, the virus. And what you've got in Leicester is not only a younger population, you've also got the highest ethnic minority uh, population of any city in the UK, so uh, about 50% multi-generational households and I think what you've seen is younger population going out socializing breaking the lockdown and then coming back and grandma and granddad have been going to to hospital with severe symptoms the younger population perhaps asymptomatic on top of that you've got quite a large um, uh, food processing industry in Leicester there they've been classed as vital workers crucial workers so they've carried on working and traveling during the, the lockdown period, um, obviously feeding the nation, uh, that puts them at more risk. But on top of that, you've got you've got this uh, rather murky garment industry employing more than ten thousand people in in mainly in the Leicester East area, which is where the the COVID hotspot was. Well, and that they were they were being forced to work throughout uh, the the uh, the lockdown period mainly for internet retailers who were very busy because effectively the government had, had shut down their competition. Uh, well, I wanted to pick up with you. Stores. I wanted to pick up with you on that, Andrew, because do you, are you, are you, do you think it is possible that the, uh, some of the outbreaks actually came from these sweatshops, uh, which have now Absolutely. been... Absolutely. Absolutely, because the, the, the internet retailers had a 45% increase in business during the lockdown period because, I say, effectively the government had, had uh, shut down their competition that work, 40% of that work comes out of, of Leicester, so they're obviously very, very busy. And when you find out that they're paying three to four pounds an hour, uh, slave wages, can your can your listeners imagine what sort of uh, what sort of housing uh, accommodation you can uh, get for yourself on that sort of money? You're talking about 15 to 20 people being accommodated in a in a terraced house in Leicester for. Uh, it's normally for four people, one 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 bathroom, one kitchen. Um, that is going to be very very easy to spread the virus in those conditions. Um, and what about ensuring this doesn't happen again? Clearly, it's something that's wholly unacceptable. How do you make sure that this isn't repeated? Well, there've been many reports about the working conditions in these uh, garment factories in Leicester over the years, but I'm now delighted, and it's something I've been speaking to the government about for a lot more than 12 months. Um, but I've got a personal commitment from Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, that she's going to get to grips with this. Uh, the National Crime Agency are looking at not only the aspect of modern slavery, but other areas of organised crime, which I think have come with it. And uh, I think yeah. Priti's determined to root it out, because at the end of the day, this is not only... It's coming to focus because of COVID, but this... It's not only detrimental to the city of Leicester and it's keeping its economic growth back. Um, there's nowhere to go on £3.50 an hour, quite honestly. I don't think those people have got a lot to spend in the nighttime no. economy. Um, and 
it's actually a stain on the conscience of right. our nation that in 2020 people are forced to work in these conditions. Andrew, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for being with us. Andrew Bridge in there, Conservative MP. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Uh, we start with Airbridges. Today, from today, you can go on holiday if you want. You don't have to quarantine as long as you go to a few certain countries. This is the travel corridor scheme that's taking effect. More than 50 countries now, the government thinks, poses a reduced risk from coronavirus. Lots of countries in Europe, the Caribbean, even further east like Japan, Hong Kong, Australia. These places you can go to, come back from and not have to quarantine for 14 days, as was previously the rules. Uh, it's a little bit stricter, though, in Scotland. They are not exempting travellers from Serbia and Spain because of concerns about their infection rates. And that's that continuing theme, isn't it, of things being a little bit stricter in some of the other home nations that are not England. Now, let's turn to universities, because the government is now going to scrap its target of sending 50% of young people to university. The Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, has pledged that the focus will now be on building a, quotes, German-style further education system. He said the country had failed for decades to give further education the investment it deserved, and going to university, he said, quotes, is not always what the individual and nation needs. It's an interesting take, isn't it? I think it was Blair, wasn't it, who, who's put that target in originally. And then there have been accusations since of degree inflation, of Mickey Mouse degrees and all of that. But then if you've got to think back, it was the Conservatives who, who'd scrapped Polytechnic. So it's a long running saga, this one, and another big milestone if this is indeed the new government target. Uh, and then this one's ruffling a few feathers. The former Cabinet Secretary, Chris Grayling, set to be named as the chair of the Intelligence and Security Committee. Uh, the SNP's Westminster leader, Ian Blackford, has accused the Prime Minister of parachuting in an ally with a record of failure, no doubt with reference to uh, that contract with the the ferry company with no ferries and uh, previous escapades. MPs are going to vote on all of this next week uh, and the committee hasn't met since 2019, since the election. It's been coming under some fire for not having done that, given the nature of intelligence and security. And they're due to publish this report about alleged Russian interference in UK politics. So we'll be watching out for that with some interest as well. Yeah, that really is a key issue. That uh, report has been very much anticipated and the government was criticised for not publishing it before. But uh, whether uh, failing Grayling, as I'm afraid he was always known as, would be the man to be in charge of doing that is an interesting and open question. Anyway, let's talk now more about Leicester because that is our focus on the programme today. How is the extended lockdown affecting people in the city? How are already vulnerable people coping with renewed restrictions? Just to remind you, from the 30th of June, Leicester was told it would stay under restrictions and that's where it is now because of an outbreak there that put it out from 
from the rest of England. Was the exploitation of people in sweatshops, which we've been hearing about, of course, one thing that perhaps contributed to the localised surge in cases? Let's talk to someone who's actually working in the city uh, amongst many vulnerable people. Salma Ravat, who's with One Roof, that's a Leicester charity, set up to provide accommodation, support and advice to people who are homeless, destitute refugees, asylum seekers and the vulnerably housed in the city. Salma, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Um, let me ask, first of all, how are people you work with, who we said are you know, very vulnerable, really, dealing with this extended period of lockdown when the rest of the country isn't? Uh, well, it is really difficult for them. Um, you know, everybody's sort of more or less, I would say, housebound again. And I think actually people are taking a, a lot more seriously the second time round. I think it feels that it's, it is really quiet out there. Um, but although, you know, a lot of our guests and residents have got accommodation, um, some of them were on the night shelter and are in temporary accommodation under the um, Everyone in initiative that the government set up. They are quite isolated. Um, you know, they are, they are, they're on their own. Um, some of them are struggling because they don't have any income. Uh, they don't have, obviously, um, money to go out and buy food. They don't have um, contact with many people at the moment because they have to restrict how much and how often they go out. So, I mean, we are providing like, weekly food and toiletry parcels to them so that they can cook for themselves and make good, you know, nourishing meals. But I think that the fact that they can't go out and see people, can't see their friends, I think that's really having a toll on their mental health. How, how does this sit alongside social distancing? I can imagine it's really difficult to run a shelter where people are presumably at close quarters if they can't mm -hmm. come into contact with each other. No, the night shelter, so any dormitory-style accommodation was closed in March. Um, that was one, you know, one of the first things that um, we all campaigned about because they were unsafe uh, environments and there was no capacity to socially distance or self-isolate if you had uh, symptoms of coronavirus. So anybody who was, and this is national, that anyone who was in a night shelter accommodation or any type of dormitory-style accommodation was accommodated by um, sort of central government initiatives. So they put some funding into local authorities to pay for temporary accommodation. So everybody is either who was rough sleeping was either given uh, accommodation in a B&B or in sort of self-contained units. But what that meant then is that they actually became more isolated because they then, you know, were in a, their own space, which was better. But, you know, they sometimes had very limited or no contact with anyone else because um, a lot of support services closed down around the same time. So that was a particular struggle for them in terms of, you know, meeting people, not well, not being able to meet. Um, so that's that's been quite challenging in how we've managed that. Salma, how about, how does it work actually with the people you're working with? Have many of them actually caught the, the virus? Have many of them become ill as a result? Have, have you noticed that increased incidence? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, obviously we work with other services, statutory and other services in Leicester, um, and we found that actually in the homeless community, the numbers have been very, very low. Um, and that is because of the fact that, you know, this action was taken straight away to put them into their own independent accommodation, self-contained unit. Um, 
from from the people that we directly work with, actually the only person that's caught coronavirus is the one who was admitted into hospital for another medical condition. And because he was in hospital for quite a long time, in the end, I think it was about two and a half months, but about six weeks into his stay in hospital, he actually contracted it in hospital. But, um, yeah, we've the, the, the very quick action that we all took in Leicester to make sure people were accommodated safely um, meant that actually we've not seen uh, many people with with the symptoms. Uh, Selma, we spoke to uh, Andrew Bridgen earlier in the programme and he said that one of the big reasons for this surge in virus cases was that people weren't taking lockdown seriously enough. They were going out, socialising, all the rest of it. More broadly, is that something you recognise as somebody who works in Leicester? Um, no, I, I, I actually don't because when I... Um, I mean, our office is based in the city centre and, I mean, even with us and our team, you know, we've been working mainly from home. Um, but in the times that I've had to go out, especially if we've had to do some support work or go and um, run, you know, an errand for the charity, actually you did notice that it was very, very quiet on the street. Um, and it only started getting busier as the lockdown measures were being eased nationally. So, you know, for, for a long time, you know, you you could you actually visibly could see how quiet either the city centre was or even just the street. And... But but what what did happen was as lockdown measures started easing, you did see that a lot of people were out and about, and that um, you know the parks were suddenly very busy, the roads were very busy, um, but that you know the full sort of easing, not the full, but you know the the mass sort of um, easing of lockdown when that happened, it did get busier in town. You could see that you know a lot of people out shopping and um, sort of. In, in the parks, it did get busy very sort of quickly. Um, but I think when this, when we had the initial lockdown, it was very quiet out there. So, Salma, let me ask, I mean, a lot of the people you deal with obviously are vulnerable. They're people probably on extremely low wages, if any wages at all. Were any of them involved in these sweatshots which we've been hearing about, which some people have said might have been part of the problem of, of people close together, uh, difficult circumstances, perhaps spurring the surge? Um, well, the people that we work with um, either, you know, aren't working. If they are working, it's it's not in the sweatshops. You know, some of them have got actually got very good jobs in, in reputable companies. Um, so, you know, I can't comment on what the conditions are of, of what, you know, is, is the sweatshops in Leicester. I mean, there are a lot of factories in Leicester, but I think I think it's unfair to tarnish them all with the same brush to say that they are the cause of... Of the surge, obviously there are there are you know um, unsavoury employers, employers taking totally a total advantage of people who are in desperate need of of an income, and but that's everywhere. And I don't think that every manufacturing the you know um, fashion industry is is the same. I mean, we have contact with a few that you know have stayed closed. They've got you know really good conditions. They they've supported the charity in the past as well. Um, so, so to make that blanket statement, I think, is really unfair, and especially as it's coming from a, you know, an MP who's from the county rather than the city itself. 
All right, Salma, thank you very much. Salma Ravat there, who's with One Roof, which is a Leicester charity that provides accommodation and many other things to people who are homeless, destitute, refugees, asylum seekers, and generally vulnerable people in the city of Leicester. And there ends our look at Leicester and why it's been such a hotspot in all of this. The next review for the lockdown measures there is on the 18th of July, which is next Saturday. So we might get some clarity there as to whether we expect it to align with the rest of England, which, as we spoke about, at the top of the program is getting more and more free and more and more returning to what we saw before now nail bars gyms and all of these very uh high covid infectious places are are, are being open again they're opening up again and of course there are fears that what this could occasion but but we will see clearly the government thinking that if they can keep the economy going that will at least help in trying to keep the country together in these very difficult times we'll be talking about all that of course next week on bloomberg westminster but that's it from us for today thanks for listening The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.